Well, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. As we continue our, our examination of 1 Corinthians, we've been walking through uh, chapters 12 through 15, and we've got this series called The Body of Christ, and we come today to chapter 14, which is a loaded chapter, although our reading this morning only focused on a few key verses. We've learned about spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and how they're manifested by the Holy Spirit, on account of us being connected to Christ through our baptism. We've learned in chapter 13 about the attitude and the posture that Christians ought to have in our exercise of these gifts. The posture of love. And now, in chapter 14, we get some real concrete instructions. Some real practical stuff on how to operate within these gifts, within the congregational life, but also within the context of public worship, which is what we're doing here this morning. We only really have a very finite, very limited amount of biblical texts that talk about what the church does when it comes together for worship. And so whenever the Scripture does speak to these things and these parameters, it's important for us to tune in and listen up. There's this central thread running through this text that I want you to notice, and it'll it'll help us keep the main thing in mind, the importance of speech, the importance of speech. See, St. Paul spends a lot of time talking about tongues, as we've seen over the last few weeks. He spends a lot of time talking about tongues because speaking is central to the life of the Christian church. It's central. It sounds so, it sounds basic enough, right? We understand that whenever we come together, there's going to be speaking involved. We know that, but this can't be overlooked. It's critical to everything that we do as a congregation. There's some, there's some groups out there, there's some sectarian groups throughout the history of the church that have taught something like this. They have taught that, that the Holy Spirit comes to us apart from the Word of God. And so it's why you can go sit in a public worship, uh, a public worship meeting in, in like a Quaker church and you can sit there and not say one word. But rather you sit quietly and you wait for some private revelation from the Holy Spirit. And just so you know, we hold a completely different view. Our gatherings, our church life is centered around speaking, around speech. At the very center of our worship is the Word of God. The Word of God in all of its forms. The Word of God is is on our lips as we participate in in the liturgy. As we sing, uh, as Scripture says, we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As we confess the creed and so forth. All of these things put the Word of God on our lips and in our hearts. The Word of God is publicly read, it's taught, it's preached. And it's the Word of God that makes the sacraments what they are. The sacraments are what? Visible Word. The Word of God coming to us in visible form. See, it's, it's God's speech that gives life to the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit comes to us through God's Word. It's God's speech that gives life to the church because it's the Holy Spirit who comes through God's word. Jesus says to his apostles 
In John chapter 6, he says, The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. So why does any of this matter? Why am I going off on this? Well, it matters because our understanding of how God speaks to us is going to directly inform how you and I interact with the body of Christ. Our understanding of how God speaks to us is going to inform how we interact with the body of Christ. If we have an incorrect view of how God speaks to us, we're going to have an incorrect view of where we can find Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. If we don't understand how God speaks to us, we're not going to know where to find Jesus. If we have an incorrect view of where we can find Jesus, then we will certainly have a deficient view of His body, the church. The most basic definition of church that I could find for you is rather beautiful. It's this. The church is holy believers and lambs who hear the voice of their shepherd. Holy believers and lambs who hear the voice of their shepherd. Or put another way, our Lutheran confessions give this definition, which is drawn from the scriptures. It says, the church is the congregation of saints in which the gospel is purely taught and the sacraments are correctly administered. In other words, it's believers in Christ who are gathered around God's word and sacraments. His law and promises delivered to us through speech, through a book, in water, in bread, in wine, all the places that Jesus promises to be present for us to forgive us of our sins, to grant us new life, to give us the Holy Spirit. So hopefully now you get the importance of speech. You get the importance of how God speaks to his people. And what speaking within a church service, what it's all about and why that's important. It's central to the congregation's life. And it's why that it's why St. Paul is so adamant when we get to chapter 14. He's adamant about the correct way to use speech and the incorrect way. So with enough of that foundation in place, consider these two main ideas as we move forward through this text. Two main ideas. We have the priority of prophecy and the purpose of piety. And yes, I'm proud of the alliteration in those points. The priority of prophecy and the purpose of piety. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it for you. We didn't read it in our, uh, in our uh, public reading this morning, but here's what it says. It says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So on the one hand, there was this gift that God had given, that God poured out in the early days of the Christian church, this gift of tongues, so that the word of the gospel could be translated from one tribe and culture to another. And note that these were real human languages and not just unknown spiritual utterances um, as the uh, as the view held by the charismatic movement suggests. But when someone speaks in tongues, it was understood only, 
only if you could speak that language. Simple enough. You can only understand someone speaking in a different tongue if you know that language, apart from an interpreter. But everyone else would be left out. Everyone else would be able to understand and discern exactly what that dude up there is saying. So the speaker could be sharing the most important news in the world, but to those who didn't speak the language, he would sound like what? Like Charlie Brown's teacher, right? Womp, 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 womp. That's from verse 11, by the way. And it's why Paul goes on to suggest that if they do speak in tongues, that they would also pray for the gift to interpret. Otherwise, that gift is not being used in love. It's not being used to build up the body of Christ, which is what the gifts are for. Verse 19 says this, says, In church, this is Paul, he's saying, In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So when the gift of tongues is used improperly, when this mode of speech is abused, all it does is serve the person who's speaking, but it doesn't serve anyone else. Prophecy, on the other hand, is what is most desirable in the assembled congregation. And what is prophecy other than speaking the clear word of God? You know, in those days, they didn't have they didn't have the complete biblical canon. It was still in production, as it were. They didn't have a printing press. Uh, if they had uh, scriptures that they were using in their churches, they were written on what? Big scrolls, right? And you, they weren't just readily accessible and available. Um, so it, it, they, it was a big deal to actually have the word of God in your church. And so they relied heavily on this supernatural gift of prophecy, and where is the gift of prophecy most clearly manifested today? It's in preaching. Preaching. Because preaching is where knowledge and revelation and teaching all come together to deliver God's law and his gospel, which are drawn directly from his word. So it's fitting that we have a pulpit here because this is where you are going to hear the voice of your shepherd. And it's not just based on me. It's based on whoever proclaims from this place. You can know that you're hearing from God because we are preaching his word. We come to hear the voice of our shepherd. And it's, it's why we prioritize clear preaching and teaching so that you can hear Christ crucified. You can hear Christ given to death and resurrected for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and that you can have nothing get in the way. Not, not lofty human opinions, not political banter that you can go on CNN or Fox News and hear every waking second of your life. That's not what you're going to hear. You're going to hear the voice of your shepherd in the clear words of Jesus, which are spirit and life, it's his word that makes you the body of Christ. So whether we gather in a field, I don't know why we would, we've got a pretty decent building, but whether we gather in a field or in a building like this, the church is a place of clear proclamation and catechesis, that is preaching and teaching, so that you, his body, will be built up 
in encouragement, in consolation. That means that your conscience, consolation to be consoled, that your conscience is soothed by the gospel, by the forgiveness of sins. In prophecy, which is the proclamation of God's word, lies at the center of of the church's activity. So that's all well and good. That speaks to the role of prophecy in the church. But what role do you play in this? And that's where we get into the purpose of piety. So what do I mean by piety? What's this word piety? What I mean by piety, and I was looking for a good P word because of the alliteration, right? But what I mean by piety is your devotion. It's your dedication to this Christian faith and to the outworkings of it in the congregational life. That's piety. What's the point in any of it? What's the point? Why do we do this whole thing? Sometimes it's difficult to live life in a church community. Why should we even bother when Jesus loves us anyway? Well, in this passage, Paul wants you to reconsider your devotional life, your own private Christian life in light of the body of Christ. Consider your private Christian life in light of the body of Christ. Reinterpret it that way, through that lens. Your private devotion to our Lord is so important. Don't mishear me. Your private devotion is so important. But even more so is your public devotion. They go hand in hand. It's kind of the point that Paul is getting at here, is that your public devotion to our Lord ought to be prioritized because it has a critical effect. It has an effect on your neighbor. You know what it does? When you're engaged with the life of the church, when you're present, when you're using your gifts to encourage, you know what it does? Builds up the church. Whether you think so or not, it does. And Paul says at the beginning of our passage today, strive, strive to excel in building up the church. Sweat towards this goal. The Corinthian congregation had lots of problems in exercising these these big flashy gifts. They They had such a zeal such an excitement about these ecstatic religious experiences that they abused those gifts rather than seeing them as tools to build up the church. And as we've seen, they they were in competition with one another. They were seeing who could out-spiritual the other person, who could be the most impressive in public worship, who could speak more tongues than the other one, right? It's kind of stuff that they were doing, but... But there were outsiders, according to our passage today, there was outsiders and there was common folk among them who couldn't make sense of their chaos, who were coming in and were just, they were lost. They couldn't say amen to anything that they were saying because they couldn't understand a word that these tongue talkers were speaking. So instead, may our practices, may the activities that we engage in, instead be orderly, which is another thing that Paul gets at in chapter 14, orderly. May they be clear. May they be done for the, for the upbuilding of all Christians who assemble here. Let it be done according to the true confession of Christ in His work, not according to the whims and the trends of what culture would have us do. 
Let us not be children in our thinking. Let us not be children in our worship practices. Verse 20. Children go after shiny objects. Children want to be entertained. Mature go after substance. Substance. Another point here is in our piety, we don't, we don't check our minds at the door. That's something that Paul gets at in his letter. He says, I'm going to praise God with my spirit, but I'm going to praise him with what? My mind also. We don't check our minds at the door like the Corinthians were doing, but we seek to honor the living God. We seek to worship him with our spirit and with our mind. And even, I would go further, even our bodies as the Lord Jesus commands us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So as we participate in the collective worship life of the church, we continue to build up the church with our collective amen. Your participation in this, brothers and sisters, is so important. It has been important and it will continue to be important for our spiritual health because remember, it's not just about you. It's about your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are a gift to them. They are a gift to you. So to get practical here as we close, commit commit to full-throated participation in the liturgy. Be unashamed of your confession. Sing with all of your heart, even if you can't sing. Give a hearty amen when you're prompted to do so. Confess the creed with, with gusto and with boldness, knowing that with your brothers and sisters, you are confessing this Christian faith in the teeth of death and the devil. Participate in Bible study whenever you can. We've got it every nine o'clock or every Sunday at nine o'clock. Sign up for community groups this year so that we can have more opportunities to gather around God's word. We got two of them meeting, Tuesday and Thursday. They only meet twice a month. Do so with the mindset of not only what am I going to get out of this, but also this, how can I support my brothers and sisters? Do you see the difference? One version is individualistic, all about self, and the other is outward, outward focused, which is what Paul's calling us to here. And you know what happens whenever we approach our piety this way? You know what happens when we live the Christian life this way? What happens to the body? It's built up. The body of Christ is built up. It means, which means growth in membership, but it also means growth in spiritual maturity. It means the forging of Christian character, spiritual formation, and unity within the body. And when the world sees this going on within the body, how we are for one another, when they come into this place, they see us participating together, lifting our voices together. What a powerful witness to the work of our Savior. That is our witness, our collective voice. Through our collective voice, our amen, as we confess God's word together in worship, they can know who Jesus is and they can know what he's like so that they might also worship God and declare that God is really among us. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.